Happy New Year and welcome back to the podcast. To mark our first episode of 2016, we've invited three forward-thinking folk to share with us their insight, foresight, guidance and wisdom about what the next 12 months will hold for the profession. It's an addition that behind the scenes we call the Look Ahead episode for obvious reasons, but looking beyond the day-to-day to to what might lie ahead can make all the difference to your organisation and to your career. Now, every year, the CIPD chooses big themes to focus on for the year ahead. And for this podcast, we've chosen our guests to chime with three of them. Dave Coplin is Chief Envisaging Officer for Microsoft UK. He tells us where tech will take us next. And Ben Enden's former Group People Director, Inji Daducci, talks about the way ahead for leadership. First, though... Manchester Business School's Professor of Organisational Psychology and Health, Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, on why it could be dangerous to follow America's lead on well-being at work. The US a human resource management kind of community has, I think, let employees down. First of all, mostly you don't get much holiday time, paid Maternity leave, you got to be joking. Most American firms don't have it. And it's a long hours culture. The way managers and HR functions there is lethal, really. We're heading in that kind of direction, in my view. Well-being is a timely theme for the CIPD this year. The data tells us that just two in five of us are working at peak performance at any one time. And stress has overtaken musculoskeletal problems as the leading cause of sickness absence. So for Carey, this is decision time. Do we really want to mimic workplace culture in the US? Because we see the US as kind of an engine of the developed world. The irony is, of course, we're doing pretty well, the UK. We're doing as good as they are from a growth point of view. And I think if we adopt more of their... HR practices, we're going to be in trouble. Of course, we have plenty of unhealthy working habits here in the UK, some of them set in during the recession years. But despite a recovering economy, they're not going away. A long hours culture, not taking all our holiday entitlement, habitual job insecurity. We already know this toxic mix leads to absenteeism, but it's presenteeism that really makes Carey uneasy. Yeah, that's the one that worries me the most. Sickness absence rates have kind of stabilized uh, at a high level, but stabilized, and that's because people are frightened of being off ill. (laughs) So that's that. So what we're getting a lot of is presenteeism. Now, most people who talk about it think it means coming to work ill because you're frightened of not coming to work and having on your HR record the fact you have a lot of absences. And what do you say it means? And I say it's much broader than that. It is coming to work, delivering no added value whatsoever. You're not ill, but you're not there. You're You're present, but you're not delivering. And really what we need are healthy people engaged, wanting to work, working hard, but not necessarily long because we don't need long. We do know from the research, if you consistently work long hours, you will get ill. And by the way, long is over 40. We're turning up early. We're staying late. We're sending emails from home at night, right? And we're not recovering from the pace, the load, the insecurity of work. And I think the presenteeism thing is is troubling me because I think that is what is reducing our productivity. And when it comes to productivity, the UK comes in at number seven in the G7. 
But why is that? It's long been something of a mystery. Until now, perhaps. Governments talk about looking for a magic bullet. Here's the magic bullet for productivity. We need better equipment. Huh? The UK doesn't have good equipment? Wrong. Globally, we're one of the great users of IT, one of the biggest. In my view, we overuse IT. Emails are, are killing us and killing our productivity because we don't manage them. I'll talk to people and they'll say to me, I'll say, what did you do today? And they'll say, oh, I had a great day today. I finished my emails. I said, no, no, no. Tell me what you did today. What product did you create? What idea did you come up with? What service did you think about? And you know what they say? Nothing. I just did my emails today. Did you know that work-life balance has a new name? Work-life integration. It would be funny if it wasn't quite so chilling. With smartphones always on and always on us, many of us have no true downtime anymore. No space to hide from our work, our colleagues, our clients. And for Carey, it's well-being, or the lack of it, that lies at the heart of the UK's productivity problem. But if that is true, what should we be doing now, as the new year begins, to tackle it? There are a lot of potential interventions. Let's take a look at, say, resilience training. We know that works. But more important than that is for organizations to do online well-being audits of their employees, finding out from them what's troubling them. An employee survey is not enough because the employee survey is very generic. It's, a, are you stressed? No, 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 we're not into that. We're into your perception of different aspects of what's going on around you. What's the impact of your line manager? Is there good communications? Do you have long hours? Is there a glass ceiling for women? But more important than anything is the line manager. If you have a socially sensitive line manager, somebody who's really skilled, they'll recognize when people aren't coping and help you deal with it. They won't overload you. They'll give you balance. They'll allow you to work flexibly. They'll do all the things that employees now need. The business case for these well-being interventions, is it well established now? Oh, yeah, it's very well established. I mean, there's absolutely no question about it now. We know there's a, something like a 0.4, relationship between a well-being culture and productivity. But in terms of sickness absence, it's well established. So there's data for the HR managers around. to take into the boardroom and say... This no. is damaging And not business. only that, we even have the ROIs. We have the returns on investment to show things. So for HRs pondering on this difficulty and thinking about how they're going to convince their CFO to do something to alter the culture and to introduce well-being strategies, what is the first thing they should do? Actually, if you're trying to influence the CFO, use the ROI, the return on investment. Show the CFO, he or she, that really this is a bottom line issue. They'll listen to you probably more than the CEO will, because the people who tend to get to CEO positions tend to be workaholics. So is that the strong tip then? Go to the CFO, not I the CEO? I think the CFO is a, a better place to go than the C CEO, who will think that working all hours God sends is the answer to productivity. And they're wrong. Kerry says emails are killing our productivity. Is he right? Tweet at CIPD Podcast. Tell us what you think. Dave Coplin, for one, says no. He's Chief Envisaging Officer for Microsoft UK, and he spends his days researching the role of technology in our personal and professional lives and trying to work out how we can live up to the potential that tech offers. It's not the technology that's the problem, it's the people that use it. That's the issue. What we have to realise is what we essentially do with technology today is we replicate old ways of working. 
the thing that we use technology for most is actually just to repeat all of the business processes that existed. In many cases, they go back to Victorian times and all we use the technology for is to make those old processes a bit quicker or a bit cheaper. That's not the point of technology. It's not the gift of technology. Examples. What sort of stuff are we talking about? Well, a classic example, and, and this is such an easy target, but it's an important one, is email. You know, email is just the digitization of an old analog process we had called office memos. All we did with that process is, is you know, we, the geniuses in IT, we digitized it. We made it fast. We made it efficient. We made it slick. We made it cheap. I don't know anybody who doesn't get enough email. Everybody is overwhelmed by email. What we need to do is to say, do you know what? Maybe there's a different way we could communicate. Maybe the technology affords us a way to communicate in a different manner rather than simply to replicate this old way of working. And what might that be? The big problem I have with email is if you think about you know, my inbox or your inbox, I think about all of the knowledge that's contained in my inbox that would be value for the rest, valuable for the rest of the organisation, but they won't get to see it until it passes through the bottleneck, which is me. And that's just stupid. I don't work on anything top secret or confidential. Why would it be held away, locked away from other people just because we have this old-fashioned process? So what we could be doing is using new collaboration tools that enable us to communicate with each other. It's just that we do it a bit like social media. We do it out in the open. But all of the little chit-chat that you have over email, that could be done in an open manner such that when you get the new starter, they don't have to ask the same old questions. They can just go and look it up. They can go and search on it. So it makes knowledge discoverable. A radical evolution in email? Sounds excellent, frankly, but that's not all that's up for a rehash. There are so many other concepts. I mean, let's look at flexible working as a classic example. Why is it in the 21st century that we still feel we can only work if we're physically inside the container of our organisation, i.e. our office? See, I think a lot of people are working like that now, aren't they? Even in big corporates, and you see this, you see this at airports and all over the place, lots of people doing this stuff with bits of kit. The technology in the kit is very straightforward now to do that, isn't it? But there's a tension, isn't there, between, as you say, empowering people to do that, and it sounds great, all the stuff around spending time with your family, doing the domestic stuff you need to do, working when it suits you, whatever. But there is also that tension of, is it empowering and freeing you to do or are you actually then driven to do more? And I think that's the anxiety. It's replaced presenteeism in the office, hasn't it? That it's the always on, you need to do more. Well, there, there are two things. Number one, I don't, think, um, I don't think lots of people are doing this at all. All right. I mean, you only have to commute into any major city to see the insanity. Thousands upon thousands of people enduring the humiliation of commuting. <laughs> right. And it's just a nightmare. But I do take your point about the issue here now is that, you know, when you're given free reign, you can overwork. And what we need now is a culture inside the organization and a culture for the individual and skills for the individual that helps them make a choice. So actually, just because I can work 24-7 doesn't mean that I will work 24-7. But you don't continually work because then you hit burnout. And this is one of the sort of, one of the core life skills we need to equip people with. This plays into another of the CIPD's big themes for 2016, employability. Now, even for school leavers who are technically brilliant, there are other vital skills that we now need to thrive in the working world. You know, kids in school, they're going to go into a really nebulous, self-directed world of work, but they're going to come from an environment that is regimented and structured and you didn't go to double mass, double English PE. Do you know what I mean? Unless they're able to equip themselves with those skills, we're going to struggle with that. So, so we have to find a way to get people comfortable with that kind of approach, to give them the, to empower them with the culture of the organisation, but also enable them to make the right kind of choices as to when they work, where they work and how they use the tools they have. Of course, the choices about how much to work 
work and how long to work are driven by the targets and the demands of your employer, aren't they, largely? They, they are. And, and, and this is where we really get into the, the meat of it, because this is all about the culture of the organisation. Yes, because given the individuals, there's still a great deal of job insecurity and anxiety about, you know, am I doing well enough? Will I stay in this role? What will happen next year? So people do will push and push to stay, to progress. So for organisations... They surely need to take the lead here, don't they, about limiting what people can do. So shutting down servers at weekends, evenings, you know, we've seen companies modelling that. Well, but I think that's wrong. Do you? I do. I do. Because I think that's a sledgehammer to crack a walnut. These companies who have, you know, email free Fridays. Yeah. Frankly, I think it's ridiculous because you're not fixing the behavioural problem. You're just actually blocking the technology. But aren't you sending a message saying, actually, we're enabling you to work but whenever, but we don't want you it, to do it at weekends? But it's, it's the wrong answer. Because it's like what that basically says is it's OK for you to abuse the technology or to do bad email four days a week. But for one day a week, we'll just we'll stop you from doing bad email by turning it off. I'd rather a conversation that says, why don't we get everybody to do good email? But won't we end up with a polarisation there? We hear a lot about this, don't we? Portfolio careers, this is great for people who are high skill, you know, high potential, high earners. What about the rest? What about the people who are working in the middle? They either won't or don't want to aspire to higher demanding jobs. They're in the middle. Is this stuff ever going to apply to them? Well, so let me answer that question in a different way, because those people are, are facing probably the most significant disruption in our labour market since the Industrial Revolution, because the algorithms are coming. And just as the spinning jenny replaced the weavers of old, algorithms will be doing many of the tasks today's knowledge workers do. Now, we have a choice, right? We have a choice how we deal with that. We can let the algorithms do that and sit in our fat backsides and, you know, do nothing for the rest of our lives. Or we can use that as a gift. If the technology can do more of the stuff that I can do, then I can stand on top of that and reach further than I ever could do before. I can do the stuff that the technology still can't. It frees me up. It increases my capability. And I think this is the key issue facing, especially middle managers, but also every single organisation faces this dilemma. The disruption in the workforce over the next decade or so is going to be absolutely significant. And we have a choice about how we deal with that. Automation will continue to transform the global workforce, but taking an active role in that process will help us reduce the damage and increase the gains. And getting that right will need good leadership in the coming decades. Inji Daducci is a former Group People Director for Benenden. Here's her take on where leadership is right now. The core fundamentals of leadership remain the same. I always say, you know, for me, the starting point is, you know, do you care about your people? Leadership is a privilege. Do you care about your people? And if you don't, move out of the way and make space for someone who does. So it's the relationship. And I know you Mm. feel strongly it's about leadership. It's the relationship with whole people. What do you mean by that? Yeah, for me, I think this is going to be one of the next stages of engagement. I think... You know, engagement started as being, I don't know, a bit mechanistic. Yeah. We will do a survey and we will do an action plan on the back of it and then we will survey again. I think one of the reasons you're seeing an increasing trend towards job title change, like mine is, you know, group people director, is that we don't employ human resources. We employ people with families and healthcare problems and lives and hopes and dreams and fears, as as we all do. Um, I think we're, we're deluded if we think that's not coming to work with them. I think... My view is that, you know, you get the best out of your people if you really connect with them in that way, if you really understand that. Timpsons have a really interesting checklist of things that, you know, managers are expected to know about their people. And I remember the first time I saw it, I thought, there's only one of my team I could answer that for. What sort of things? Their birthday, when they're going on next holiday, the names of their kids. And it's quite a long list. Very intimate. Very intimate. 
Is that what everyone wants from their manager, do you think? I think the world is is changing. You know, if you look at the way the work was, you know, kind of post-war 1950s, I think I saw a statistic recently that, you know, people who are being born today are expected to have 35 jobs in their lifetime. Yes. You know, people are willing to move for what they want. I think there's an increasingly bo- increasing body of evidence to suggest that, yes, people are looking for their managers to work with them in a much more human way, to know them in a much more human way. But yes, I think our lives are increasingly fluid. I saw a, a joke the other day on social media. I'm leaving the office to go home and check my work email. <laughs> you know, we, do, we work and live very differently. Indy is convinced we need less tick box performance management and much more ongoing conversation. Pay cycles, performance cycles, I think there's a kind of growing body of, of evidence um, that that's not an effective way to, to get the best out of your people. So there, there is an increasing trend for organisations to move towards making that more fluid, not doing away with conversations about how people are performing or what their development is, but that just becomes how we do things around here. I mean, yeah, the doing away with annual appraisal thing, it's a tidal wave now, isn't it? Big mm. organisations saying no more. It's, it's Microsoft, it's Google, it's Deloitte, yes. it's Accenture and many, many others mm. doing away with them. Often with quite a fanfare of publicity around, they're gone, hurrah, and everyone's <laughs> really pleased. But it is an interesting question what they're replacing them with, isn't it? It is. And yeah, we, we are regulated by, by three very robust regulators. Um, and so I... We haven't gone to that place yet. And, you know, for example, under our financial services regulators, you know, we're we're required to demonstrate that our people are trained and competent and fit and proper. So it's compliance. So, yes, Mm. I I think there is something about the external context and what, you know, what you are required to do. But even so, there's still probably a way of making that better. Want to find out how to finesse this in your organisation? Well, you'll find plenty of tips on the performance management pages of the CIPD website. And you can join the conversation in the CIPD communities or indeed on social media and share your thoughts. After all, as Inji says, if you want to get the best from your leaders and your people, try stealing with pride. I guess what I mean by it is not literally to go out stealing, but you know, people are people and leadership is leadership. And, you know, if you're grappling with an issue, some somebody else somewhere else is and they've solved it for them or they've learned some stuff along the way. Um, so I'm a big fan of, you know, thing, you know, things facilitated like the CIPD of sharing learning, sharing what's going on in organisations. There's fantastic stuff on social media. As we say in Yorkshire, there's now new in the world. Go away, talk to people, find someone else who's done it. You know, short, you know, shortcut what you have to do by taking their learnings. And don't reinvent the wheel. Don't reinvent the wheel, no. If it's good enough for Sam Walton, it's good enough for us. And that's your permission to get thieving. Next month, we'll be investigating why resilience is the buzzword for 2016. What are the characteristics of a resilient organisation? And how can you measure your own resilience? Spoiler alert, it might just involve sticking electrodes on your chest. Don't miss it.